Hey guys, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. If you are a new listener to ID Podcasts, thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you are a longtime listener, welcome back. Welcome back. Hi. Thank you so much. Sarah and Chase here. <laughs> we never really introduce ourselves. Um, no, we don't. Often. I'm Sarah. I'm Chase. And we've been together for 10 years. <laughs> and we've had the podcast for about four years. Yeah. And we started it to improve our relationship, get free relationship advice and share it with you guys. And here we are. Now we got a an online course. We are we have a three year old daughter. Yeah. So we're starting a parenting podcast. Yeah. <laughs> because lo- <laughs> that's what we do. When we want to learn about something, we're just like, let's start a podcast and, <laughs> and learn inter- about it. <laughs> and interview people about and it. And we'll find out exactly what we want to know. There we go. From the experts. <laughs> awesome. Well, on today's episode, we interviewed Dr. Aaron Leonard. And Dr. Aaron is a practicing psychotherapist and an author of three books about relationships. And parenting. I think we need to have her back on the parenting podcast. Yeah, she'll be on. (laughs) And today we focus in and talk about some key tools to navigate towards a healthier relationship. So whether you're single or dating, trying to find a a good relationship, or you've been in a 10-year relationship and you're married, they are married Today's episode has some great specific tools to use, such as how to be accountable and say you're sorry. Seems so simple, right? But why is it so hard <laughs> it's sometimes? It's so hard sometimes. Yeah, to say you're sorry. Or if you have a partner that just can't seem to do it, how to communicate with them. And because it's really going to be critical to your relationship, how to be more mindful, create emotional closeness, how to make each other laugh, why that's so important and understanding the perspective of your partner to create compromise and so much more. So today is a another great episode. Sarah and I took lots of notes. Again, you know, that's why we started this to help (laughs) our relationship and hopefully it is helping you guys too. We hope you guys enjoy today's episode. Dr. Aaron, thanks so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Dr. Aaron, we've given our listeners a little overview, told them about your work. Why don't you take a minute and tell us about yourself and why you enjoy helping people improve their relationships? I am a psychotherapist. I function in a private practice, and I'm also a writer for Psychology Today. I, um, I'm a mom of twins, 10 years old. And um, I love being a mom. I, I think that our relationships are the most important aspect of our lives. And I think when our relationships, especially with the people that we are supposed to be close to, um, spouses, children, partners, um, immediate family members, when those relationships are healthy and fruitful, um, and when those relationships thrive, we fit, we really experience a lot of joy and we also experience a lot of comfort and, um, without closeness in our lives, emotional closeness, we can suffer from a great deal of anxiety, depression, um, 
psychosomatic symptoms. It can wreak a lot of havoc and zap our kind of joy. And um, so I think they're exceptionally important. And I think they, they should be the focus of a lot of our energy. And a lot of the times people really desire closeness and um, love, but they don't know how to achieve, um, you know, how to get it and receive it in a relationship. And as soon as they learn some small tricks, uh, they're, they're on it and they can turn their relationship around very quickly. And all of a sudden life is very different when you have close loving relationships. Well said, and no doubt we agree that relationships are super important, and I feel like sometimes we take them for granted personally as a society and culture, and they're really the foundation of what it means to have a happy life, and that's why we love having people like yourself on to help give Sarah and I the tools and and to improve our relationship and share it with our listeners. And today we want to zero in on something that's definitely going to help everyone. And that is understanding the role of chemistry in our brains as it pertains to our romantic relationships. So why do we feel these crazy things and why do we act certain ways and, and how we can understand that to help improve our lives. So why don't we jump right in and, and let's talk about that and, and how these chemicals are sometimes wreaking havoc on the way we feel in our emotions. Sure. Yeah, there's, um, you know, there's so, there's so much about appeal that uh, pertains to our brain chemistry and neurology. As human beings, we're very, very drawn to the familiar. Um, and that is very appealing to us and very comforting. So, you know, given the choice of a, a yucky known and a complete unknown, people will choose the yucky known. <laughs> so, you know, for example, being in a bad relationship is less scary than being in no relationship. Um, and so, you know, obviously that's why sometimes we get stuck in dysfunctional patterns. We get stuck in dysfunctional relationships because the familiar, even if it's a bad familiar, is less scary than the unknown. And that has a lot to do with why we're drawn to people as well. So, you know, a lot of times we are drawn to someone because um, unconsciously or in a relational way, they remind us of someone from our past that we um, that we had a relationship with. And a lot of the times we, we're not conscious of why they're familiar to us, but they just feel familiar. There's something that draws you to them. and um, and that can be quite powerful. So, you know, we're going to immediately kind of let ourselves get kind of swept that way because, you know, they're familiar and it's appealing and it's comforting. Um, but the problem is a lot of the times they're, they're familiar because um, they're like uh, a relationship that we had. Um, so, so for example, if, if the person we're drawn to that we're, you know, that we feel this unconscious kind of familiarity with and comfort with, or this magic with, you know, from, um, feeling familiar can also feel kind of very magical and mysterious. Um, and the person that, um, this person reminds us of unconsciously was dysfunctional and maybe, you know, was emotionally unavailable when we, when we were a, a child. So a parent or a caregiver or someone like that, you know, and, and, and the child never quite 
um, felt like they achieved their, their full approval or acceptance or love um, or validation, then a lot of the times we can be drawn to someone who is like that. And that's tricky because, you know, when you are drawn to someone, you, you are longing for closeness, acceptance, love, validation, um, empathy. And when you're drawn to someone and then all of a sudden, you know, they start kind of changing the game a little bit and you're not, you're not getting what you're longing for. It becomes kind of a difficult situation because you chase it. Then you long for this thing that you're chasing, but you're never quite getting. And that can be very painful. We can certainly get caught in these, I don't want to call them traps, but these patterns and, and so complicated. And what you're touching on is, is like this deep rooted chemistry in, in the brain that based on our childhoods and the way we interact with probably our parents most of the time as the primary figures is going to shape how we form relationship later in life. And, and there's all sorts of examples of this spectrum and, and they can be negative where your parent didn't show you the love. And, and so then it's, you're creating those same kind of patterns in your adult relationship or they could be positive. So how can someone listening get out of the, I guess, like a negative pattern of chasing something that, that may have been ingrained in them from childhood, but it is not healthy. Um, can we talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. It's super tricky. Um, because, you know, as I talk about in my article, when we're unconsciously drawn to someone because they're familiar, they, they're similar to maybe a parent that was withholding of love or, you know, was maybe had, had sort of an emotional unavailability. Um, it's, it's sort of camouflaged by um, the present. So it's almost like the past camouflaged by the present. So it's tricky. It's mysterious. You can't quite mm -hmm. put your finger on it. And it's fairly deceptive. And people, when they first meet, you know, they're always on good behavior. So everyone wants to make a good impression. And um, but when you start seeing, you know, as, as the road, as you travel down the road with this person, um, if you feel like they don't honor your feelings or if you feel like sometimes their comments sting. Um, so, so just to stay on that note for a minute, there's a, such a thing as constructive criticism. Someone who supportively tells you, um, you know, I think this, this essay is great. Um, I love it. I love the content, but you have a spelling error down there, you know, as opposed to this is horrible how could you even submit such a thing? This is terrible. So the, the, the way that someone provides a critique is really important. So if someone gives you constructive criticism and really it, it feels empowering and, um, you know, they say a positive thing before they tell you something that you need to work on, that's a good sign. But if someone is continually kind of giving you, um, putting you down and it's not constructive um, or they're degrading you in ways that, 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 so when, when a comment stings, it's usually because um, it's sort of a put down, but it's disguised as either a joke or a, kind of a, a weird compliment or um, kind of a, a, 
a backhanded comment. So they, they cause a lot of, they sting, they cause a lot of confusion and you walk away kind of going, wait, I don't understand. What was that? And then when you think about it, you think well, that wasn't very fair. And if you come back to this person and you, t- you talk about it, this person will either deny it or tell you that you have the issue or something like that. So if that sort of scenario happens, starts to happen in your relationship, it might be a big red flag. Um, the other thing is, Another red flag is if a person, so in a relationship, providing empathy for your partner is, is really the key. And, you know, I think a lot of the times we care so much about our partners and we want to fix their problems because we want to make them feel, we want to help them feel better. But the key is not to fix their problems. The key is to understand the feeling. And when we understand the feeling, they feel understood, they feel less alone, and they feel connected to you. And that is what you want. And so what happens a lot of the times in some dysfunctional relationships is there's no empathy. The person wants to give advice or tell the person how to fix their problem or tell the person that it's their fault and that they did, you know, and that's not helpful. So if your partner is someone who can hear how you feel and honor it, you know, you're worried. I get it. It's a big worry. Or you're disappointed you didn't get that promotion. And honey, you have every right to be. You worked really hard. You know, saying empathic statements is really important. If you have a partner who doesn't seem to be able to do that, that's a red flag. These are two huge, important things. And we can use them as examples of red flags, like like you're saying, or also just in a somewhat healthy relationship, things that should be worked on. And I know that uh, I try to to work on these things and, and no one's perfect. And in fact, Sarah and I, just before recording this podcast, we were, we work together. So we're constantly tiptoeing, like trying to use the, not tiptoeing, but trying to use the right language because, I mean, I'll just say the example because this was a good one. Um, we're actually launching a, a new podcast, a kid's podcast, and, and we're really excited about that. A parents and, podcast. Yeah, uh, sorry, <laughs> a parenting podcast and uh, to help parent kids. And, <laughs> and Sarah had said something to the effect of like, um, are you sure you want to do that? Uh, more or less, you know, I, I wouldn't do it that way. And uh, along those terms, or the way it made me feel was that like I was being parented and it's amazing how the statements from our partner can trigger these feelings. Like I just immediately just did not like, and she wasn't yelling at me or she wasn't being overly critical, but it just felt like she didn't think that I could handle the situation. And so she was inserting herself and, and, trying to give advice and be helpful. And and this isn't a criticism of Sarah, but then I said, well, you know, I, we tried to, I felt triggered and then we tried to navigate that. And I said, maybe next time what we came to is like, maybe next time you can start by saying a positive, like you just said, like, oh, that that's good that, that we're going in that direction and you're trying to get this guest on the show. But do you think that maybe we should discuss if this is the direction the podcast is going to go. And it would have, it's the same idea, but I wouldn't have been triggered and in the dialogue would have just been a lot better. So, um, yeah, it's just. Absolutely. And that, 
that's a great rule of thumb. And, and I, I try and, um, recommend that as much as possible. If you are going to give a criticism or if you're going to confront, or if you're going to talk about a tough issue, starting with the positive is extremely important. And saying something like great idea, great idea, hon. I think that's wonderful. What if we tweaked it in this way? What do you think about that? You know, and, and that's a lot different than some of the things we, we find ourselves saying. And if you start with a positive, um, it's, it really sets the tone for collaboration. And I completely agree. And one thing I, I also think that we struggle with and our listeners who maybe have their own businesses or work with closely with their partners is managing that relation, that work relationship that's separate from their romantic relationship. Sometimes that's the biggest thing that we struggle with is, is communicating, uh, you know, like we would communicate with another coworker instead of our partner. Um, so really focusing on, on that too, and, and keeping that always um, in the back of our heads when we're talking and communicating with each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a really tough line to walk when you work with someone that you are in a really, you know, a romantic relationship with. That's really probably the, you know, toughest relational <laughs> situation. And it sounds like you guys are Doing great. And, and missteps and miscommunications happen so often in a relationship. And, you know, as long as they're aired out and talked about and there's a productive resolution, that, that, that's the most important thing. And I, and I think that's important for people to know, too. If, if there's a conflict in the relationship and it's talked about and eventually resolved and both people feel positively about the resolution, that is a huge green flag. But if conflict you know, is never really resolved, if there's never really closure, if no one, you know, if there's never, if, if, if people just move on without fully understanding how the other person feels, then that's a problem because ruptures like that in a relationship, if they continue, you know, if, if a rupture happens and another one and then another one without closure, you know, that can really infect the whole entire relationship. And that's, you know, so, so handling these small things immediately and with care and good communication is super important. It's pretty ironic that probably 90% of our arguments stem from work on a relationship <laughs> advice podcast. <laughs> sure. But, absolutely. But it is so true. And the more we think about it, it's like, it is, I don't think it's incredibly unique because for sure there's other people that work together, but there's so many elements that of working with your spouse that make it necessary to kind of up your game and, and be able yes. to communicate in a positive way because we're, we're, we also work from home and we're with each other almost 24 seven and we're talking about work. So those simple things like, uh, leading with a positive when you have a criticism it you know sarah said the separation between romantic and business relationship but that's kind of like an oxymoron because there is there, no, yeah, there is no separation mean, we're not <laughs> right. we're human so like right. i'm never sarah is not my coworker. like we have our sarah the the working wife partner and then sarah the romantic partner maybe but it's still sarah the partner um 
So right. it, it is interesting and it, and it makes us better for it that, that we're better able to, to communicate or sometimes, <laughs> I mean, but it's, it's, it's really funny because we, we say it all the time, but we use the tools that we learn on this podcast and we constantly need to be reminded though too and remind ourselves because it doesn't, we don't come out of the womb with the ability to communicate perfectly with other people. That's why relationships are hard among other things. So, so these are great points. Mm -hmm. So, so we talked about the constructive criticism and, and making sure you are not always trying to fix your partner's problems using empathy. What are some other things that, that we need to understand in, in, in order to navigate uh, our relationship? But before we continue on, we want to tell you about today's sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by JJ Virgin's seven-day stop, drop, and swap challenge. The seven-day challenge is designed to help you stop classic symptoms of food intolerances and drop up to seven pounds in seven days by swapping out seven problem foods for healthy, tasty alternatives. So, Chase, are you wondering what those seven problem foods are? <laughs> what are they? I think I have an idea. Do you? Okay. You want to take a guess? You tell me. Okay. Gluten, soy, dairy, eggs, peanuts, corn, and sweeteners. So if you're experiencing stubborn weight gain, headaches, skin trouble, fatigue, joint pain, or digestive issues, you might be intolerant to one of these seven problem foods. The seven-day challenge involves drinking two smoothies a day plus one more traditional meal. Or if you're not a smoothie kind of person, I don't know who that would be. I love (laughs) smoothies. But if you're not, they offer plenty of extra recipes if you prefer to only do one or zero shakes a day. They also provide free guides to help people adapt the challenge if they're vegan, eating paleo, or feeding a family. The challenge is actually the first week of the Virgin Diet, which is J.J. Virgin's first New York Times bestseller diet. The diet has helped hundreds of thousands of people identify their food intolerances so they can eat what's right for them. What I love about this challenge, besides the name Stop, Drop. (laughs) What song is that? No, that's what I was going to say. It's DMX. Stop, Drop, Shut Them Down, Open Up, Shop. I was doing Stop, Drop, Rumble. Oh, that's Stop like a cheerleading roll. cheer. That is when you're on fire. <laughs> <laughs> or that. It's not a song. But I do, it does bring me back to seventh grade DMX song. But for those of you that don't know, stop dropping roll. <laughs> stop dropping roll. If you're, if you're on fire. Okay. Stop, 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 stop listening to this podcast. And stop dropping roll if you're on fire. Okay. So. Besides those two things that are really funny, what I like about the challenge, <laughs> what besides those two things, what I like about the challenge and the JJ Virgin diet is that it helps you create new habits that help you form a healthy, long-term, sustainable lifestyle. So we're starting the challenge next week. So if you want to join us, you can sign up for the free challenge at jjvirgin.com forward slash I do. And when you sign up, they actually send you four days of prep information, uh, like the swap out sheets and quizzes to find out your potential intolerances. So sign up 
ASAP so that you can get those prep days before we start the challenge next week. So again, that's uh, you can sign up for the free challenge at jjvirgin.com forward slash I do. And remember, stop, drop and roll if you're on fire. (laughs) Today's episode is also sponsored by our course, Spark My Relationship. We started I Do Podcast to get information to improve our own relationship. We thought at the very least we'll be able to do that and then to share it with our listeners. The guests are great and we've gotten a ton of valuable information, but we found that if we don't actually deliberately take the time to implement the strategies and tools that our guests give us, we weren't seeing the real lasting benefits that we desired in our relationship. And that's why we created the Spark My Relationship course. We've collaborated with 15 psychologists and therapists to create a comprehensive relationship course that not only teaches you the skills needed to create a successful and lasting relationship, but the tools to execute it. By enrolling in the online course, you'll have access to the same strategies and tools that marriage therapists teach their clients, including therapist-taught video lessons with workbooks and exercises to help you work towards accomplishing your relationship goals in less than 90 days. You'll also learn how to detox unhelpful relationship habits and learn healthy ways to interact. You'll learn how to disagree respectfully and communicate mindfully, as well as how to improve intimacy and reignite your sex life and so much more. Spark My Relationship isn't just a course for struggling couples. It's a course for couples who want to see their relationship flourish. If this is you, then you are a perfect fit for the course. So for a special offer for our ID podcast listeners, head over to sparkmyrelationship.com forward slash unlock. Again, for 30% off the course, plus special bonuses just for ID podcast listeners, visit sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock. Um, accountability is a big one. So accountability is almost as important as empathy because accountability allows us to repair conflict um, and move on happily. And so, you know, having a partner who genuinely, genuinely feels remorse after they make a mistake and owns it is important. And even, even small mistakes, you know, when your partner looks at you and says, you know what? I'm so sorry. I, I, you know, I, that was really selfish of me yesterday. And I'm going to try not to do that again. When you have a partner who says something like that to you, the trust is never really dismantled in the relationship. When you have someone who can say sorry and can own their mistake and own what they did that disappointed or hurt you or impacted you negatively, you, you, you're all right. You feel like you can move on with and still trust. But when you have a partner that doesn't genuinely say sorry and doesn't and doesn't genuinely um, own their mistakes, they're just going to repeat the same mistakes over and over again, which means you're going to be hurt by the same mistake over and over and over again. And eventually, you don't trust anymore. You grow apart and you you don't care. And that's something that you never want to happen. So people who can own, and it's very hard, and this goes for parenting too, you know, I, I find myself when I'm the most angry at my child, I realize that 
it's because there's something going on that I'm defending against. And it's really about me. And once I stop and take a deep, deep breath and look at myself and look at the situation and go, oh, my God, it is me. And then I look at my child and I take a deep breath and I try and take a moment and I look at my child and I say, mom was wrong. I'm sorry. And I'm sorry I hurt you. I hurt your, not hurt you physically, but hurt your feelings. Um, you know, the, the child, the same thing happens with your child. They, they, the trust is not broken down. The trust remains. They, they love you. They talk to you and you move on feeling closer. And that child then will say sorry to you when you need them to. And that's, and you know, people say to me all the time, why doesn't my kids say sorry? Why don't they, why aren't they accountable? Well, are you accountable in the relationship? <laughs> because that's where they learn how to say sorry is the experience of having their parents say sorry. Do you have any tips for maybe walking somebody through that situation? Because I know there's so many times where you know you should say sorry, but maybe you have a hard time saying it or just... I don't know that it doesn't feel smooth or or like the right timing. Do you have any tips for that? Yeah, absolutely. So one, I think a couple of things, one thing that prevents us from being accountable um, is that we, we don't want to own the whole fight. We don't, you know, you have a fight, it gets ugly. People say things that they shouldn't have, you know, it's being, it's part of being a human being. And people don't want to take responsibility for the whole fight. So they don't mm-hmm. want to, they don't want to say sorry because they feel like if they say sorry, they're taking responsibility for the whole fight. And that's not true. If you just remember to own your part in it, your part, then hopefully you will have a partner that will own his or her part in the fight. And then when each person owns their part in it, you have a productive resolution of conflict and people get closer and move together, move, move forward, feeling positively about each other. But if you are the partner who only owns their part and, and your partner never, ever, ever owns their part, then you're in trouble. So it's people remember the big person is usually the person who says sorry first and it makes you vulnerable. So it's scary. And it's, it's, But if you just own your part and you say sorry first, hopefully you will be with a partner who will then own their stuff and their part in it. And then you can move forward productively and learn from it. Um, The other thing I think that prevents uh, people from saying sorry is um, so when people, when people feel really intensely, over a disagreement or an argument, um, it, a lot of the times it's because they're defending against something. So when people get very, very, and when people get very, very defensive, um, it's very hard for them to become vulnerable. You have to be vulnerable when you apologize. That's just how it works. Otherwise, it's not sincere. So remembering okay, I'm really defensive right now. I'm feeling, you know, really upset, angry, angry, hurt. And then taking a couple deep breaths, figuring out what it is about the the situation that is really hurting you and upsetting you and reflecting on it for a minute and then figuring out what your part in it, in it is and owning that part, then that that's a really important thing. So, Owning only your part is important. You don't have to take responsibility for the whole fight. 
And if it is something that you feel really intensely about, reflect on it because it might be something you're defended against and, and getting insight to that is really, really important. And it's the, it's, it's the only way to really kind of get closure is gleaning insight from it, owning it, moving, and hopefully your partner will own their part. And then you move on and you move on without people holding grudges. You move on without people, without the trust being dismantled. Um, and, and you've learned something about yourself and your partner's learned something about you, which will hopefully endear them to you more. Definitely. If you're able to do that, you guys are going to draw closer and, and improve the relationship because it's not that we want to avoid uh, conflict. Obviously we do, but it's inevitable in a relationship. So, right. so using these tools and, and not thinking, oh, I'm a bad person because we have conflict. It's like, it's going to happen. It's using these tools, having the ability to say sorry, and then knowing that that's going to come from your partner is important. And being mindful, you mentioned, you know, taking a breath and, and, and taking things in and being vulnerable. To me, those are all things that the more mindful and present and aware you are, the easier that's going to be rather than, you know, you're hot headed, there's an argument and, and saying sorry is the last thing on your mind. But if you take a moment to step back, think about your partner, think about what you said, and it's going to be valuable and a lot easier, I'm sure, to, to be able to say that you're sorry. Right. And sometimes when we're in the heat of battle, you know, it's hard to be mindful. And so some just some easy, easy tips are deep breaths and get outside. If you can get outside on your deck and take four deep breaths, I guarantee it will help you that the intense feelings will dissipate a little bit and you go back inside and you, you have a, you, you've gained a little bit of perspective because you've, you've really calmed yourself down and become mindful. So people underestimate the power of, of the outdoors, but it's very healing to get outside in the fresh air for a minute. So even if you have to break away from the argument and, you know, get, go get the mail, you know, and, and take 20 steps outside and 20 steps back in the house. And you're going to feel differently. You're going to feel better when you get back in the house. And so deep breathing, getting outside, getting two fresh, you know, deep breaths of fresh air. Um, th those things help. And, the, you know, and it will, it can, it can sometimes take the edge off long enough for you to get perspective. It seems so simple, but it is such a powerful exercise. Like before you speak, take those breaths and, and think about, is this something that I want to say? Is this something valuable to our conversation or our relationship? And a lot of times if you take that and take that time, you're probably going to, if you were heated, you're going to decide, you know what? No, that's not what I should be saying. You know, we talked to, we started this podcast talking about you know, chemicals in our brains. Our brains are are being hijacked by <laughs> these endorphins and chemicals. And, right. and if we act impulsively under those, you can say in a sense we're not acting as our true self, whatever you know that is. We don't want to get into philosophy here, but but we're certainly probably not acting as our best self under those circumstances. Yes. So. 
it is a really a valuable thing to do. It is. And it, it, it will end the fight quicker. So a lot of the times we get, we, we keep asserting our point and our feelings because we want to, you know, we want to be right. We want the fight to end on our terms. And if we can, if we can instead take deep breaths, um, be mindful, try and feel, try and understand the deeper feelings, you know, try and get some perspective, try and, um, you know, understand what we're really feeling and what we're defending against. And then use that awareness and insight to own whatever we need to own in that moment, that fight will end very quickly. But if, if you can't do that, if you keep repeating your feelings and your point of view, you know, the, the fight won't, hopefully, you know, hopefully you have a partner who will understand your feelings and your point of view, but also understanding theirs is really important too. And, and just that will end the fight much quicker if you can get that perspective and you can quiet kind of your defensive self and get more attuned with your, you know, the true essence of who you really are. That's important. So these are all great things that we can implement. What would you tell someone whose partner doesn't seem to be receptive to to doing this work? So you're on the other side. It's easy for someone listening. They can apologize, but they feel like their partner just does not do it as much or at all. Um, how can they approach that partner and start the discussion uh, to move in a positive direction? Um, it's, it's vital. You know, you want a partner that provides empathy, that can understand your perspective, even if it differs from theirs. You want a partner who's accountable, you know, because all of those things, um, the, all of those things create emotional closeness in the relationship and emotional closeness is what you need to feel joy and comfort in the relationship. Um, and so if you have a partner who's incapable of those things, then that they need to do some hard work and they need support. If, if they're highly motivated, um, some of this stuff isn't, isn't that difficult to integrate. If, if they aren't motivated at all to, to try and be different, then that, that, that's a big, that, that calls for a big decision then. So um, the motivation of your partner is, is really something that's going to be very important to assess in that situation. I, I think one thing that Chase and I struggle with, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners do, is is understanding the our each other's perspective, but then still having these like crazy chemicals in our head that wants to like basically go down the rabbit hole to like figure out, you know, the root of the issue. And I know sometimes you try so hard and it's like, if we would have just done like what you said, stepped outside or, or taken those breaths, we might've come to a resolution a lot faster, but how do you, how do you manage that where you, you know, the perspective of your partner, but yet you're still trying to get a resolution that you desire versus just moving past it? Uh, that's a great question. If you understand the perspective of your partner, you're one step closer to a compromise. Compromising is really the goal of every conflict. So 
it's the quickest way to find a productive resolution and two people move forward happy. So if it's something that you won't compromise on, you know, you know, that, that, um, there's something about that that's important that you should examine. So, you know, but compromise is the goal for almost every, every conflict. So if you understand, you truly understand your partner's perspective, then you can use that to figure out a compromise that will make him happy and you happy. And if, if you're not coming up with a compromise, um, you're not really understanding your partner's perspective. So you might want to go back and think about it again. Um, but the first person to kind of identify the compromise, usually in my book, wins because they, they get what they want too. So I'm trying to think of an example, but um, if, if, you, if both people can bend just a little, then you have a compromise that makes both people happy. And that, that's super important. Flexibility in a relationship is important. Now, you don't always want to be the one bending, and your partner never does. He always gets his way, or she always gets her way. That's a huge red flag. Um, but a fight, a fight or a conflict should never win with a winner or a loser. It should always win with a compromise. It should always win. It should, your fight, fight should, in your relationship should always end with two winners, not one winner and one loser. Exactly. And we, we say all the time, if you're on the same team, if you're thinking you're on the same team, mm-hmm. well, then yeah, you're both going to be a winner. Because if your team's winning, you're a winner. <laughs> but if you're on opposite teams, right, you can only have one winner. And that's just not a good approach to to have in the relationship. And and it is such an easy, Sarah's kind of laughing at my analogy, but it, it, it it's like, yeah, duh, but it's such a it's easy true. thing to, yeah. to fall into the trap of like, oh, I'm going to win this argument or, or not even win it, but like, I want to have 51% of the right side of this argument rather than like, you know what, we're, we're in this together and, and I might have 48% of the, the quote win, but we're on the same team. So it's actually, we're both winning. Yeah. And, and really when you're, when you compromise and when you're flexible and your partner, you know, it's really fun to be with a happy partner. It it makes life so much more fun. And so compromising, you know, maybe you're bending a little bit, but you're also having, you're also getting a a happy partner. And that's fun too. Yeah. Conflict shouldn't be a power struggle. It should definitely be uh, a, a very creative and, um, thought-provoking activity. And it's a balance. And you have certainly given us and our listeners a lot of great tools to to work towards striking that balance. And, and it's a constant thing that we have to work on. Like I said, it doesn't just happen automatically. So these are going to be some great tools, Dr. Aaron. Are there any other things that we should hit on before we wrap up here? Sure. Uh, one other thing I would just say is uh, above everything, laugh. You know, if you can make your partner laugh, you've won. So it's this, it's the simplest tip I can give you, but it is the most powerful. And a sense of humor is our most effective coping mechanism. And if you have an ability to make your partner laugh and smile, you, you're going to have a very healthy relationship. 
It's funny that you mention uh, the sense of humor because we're doing a bunch of interviews today and the one we had earlier also mentioned uh, the importance of a sense of humor. So I think that's our our theme today is to laugh a lot. <laughs> I like it. I like that theme. Awesome. Well, uh, let's have you tell our listeners where they can find you online um, and then we'll say goodbye. Okay. I, um, I'm at Dr. Leonard, Dr. Aaron Leonard.com. And then I write a, a peaceful parenting blog for psychology today. Awesome. Well, we'll have uh, those links on your show notes page on our website at idopodcast.com. And our listeners know to check out all those resources on our website. And uh, we want to thank you so much for coming on the show, Dr. Aaron. It was so much fun. Thank you so much for having me. Hi, guys. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, all the links are in the show notes page, as well as on the podcast description. And while you're on our website, we encourage you guys to check out our 14 day happy couple challenge. We send you an email for 14 days with simple, doable challenges to help strengthen and improve your relationship. And on our website, we also have a bunch of free resources for your relationship. So we encourage you to check those out. Uh, We also have our love tribe on Facebook. Uh, We encourage you guys to join the tribe and uh, be there for support for each other. If you have questions or just need some relationship advice, we are all here for each other. Um, The group has grown to almost a thousand people um, and we love it. So we hope you guys join that. You can go to Facebook, Love Tribe Fam. And you'll find us right there. And if you are interested in learning more about our flagship course, Spark My Relationship, we hope you guys check it out. We have a special offer that is only for podcast listeners. So you can go to sparkmyrelationship.com slash unlock and you can unlock that special offer and learn more. As always, thank you guys so much and we'll see you next week.